KYW Original Podcasts. It's just a good conversation with somebody that you didn't know you were interested in. I'm Matt Leon, and this is One on One. Fred Shabel hired me. I think he got a good bargain for 3500 for two sports. Bob Seddon and I put together one hall of a run. We had five titles, over 600 wins. If Fred told me a long time ago, he said, if you hang around long enough, good things will happen to you. And I think I hung around long enough. And our guest this week is Bill Wagner, who is in the midst of his 50th and final season as the head sprint football coach at the University of Pennsylvania. Coach, thanks so much for coming in. Just happy to be here, and thanks for the invite. So let's start with a primer for people that aren't familiar. If I asked you, define sprint football for me, how would you define it? Well, it's probably the most amateur and purest form of football in the United States. It was formed way back in 1931 by the University of Pennsylvania. It was called 150-pound football at the time. We've kind of developed and grew into lightweight football and then eventually into sprint football. There's a weight limit of now 178 pounds two days before every game. The kids get weighed in. They're under the scrutiny of our trainer and our, our doctors. Our body fat and all those wonderful things are done. But it is real live football. We play on Franklin Field. It's a 52-man squad. We're in a league called the uh, Collegiate Sprint Football League. And uh, young men are somewhat recruited, but the University of Pennsylvania really recruits them because they're there for a career. Uh, someday they, they may not make a living playing football, but they may own a franchise or be a doctor or a lawyer or an agent. But it's a great sport, and it's 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 a wonderful family atmosphere. And really, when you the only difference between that and maybe the football is the weight. Everything else is pretty much the same, right? Everything's the same. It's quick. It's fast. Uh, they work very hard when they put that helmet on. They're a football player. When they take it off, they're a, a very active student at the University of Pennsylvania. So, fifty years. Why did you decide? this would be the last one. What led to the decision? Well, for the past 50 years, uh, I've seen the, the program obviously grow. When I first came to Penn back in 1970 when Fred Schabel hired me, I was also the uh, assistant coach in baseball with Bob Sedden at the time, and uh, we had some goals that we saw that would really be very, very beneficial to the program if we could reach them. And, and one of them, obviously, was to become a full-time coach, which I was always a part-time coach since I was also a school teacher all the way up until 1996 while I was still coaching both football and baseball. Uh, since then, we've been able to get an awful lot of support from our alumni group. Uh, it grew into every year we added something new to this program from one bus and vans to two buses to not paying for a sweatsuit and shorts to having a Nike contract where everybody is obviously well-dressed, uh, looking down the road, uh, the, the new coach who to be named at the end of this season, and then a full-time assistant coach, and then hopefully a coordinator of operations, something that I was doing as a single person for those, those many years. Our board member of about 25 people have developed all these concepts into a wonderful program, not just fundraising, but which is a big part of it, but also mentoring 
helping these young kids get jobs, uh, making sure that they're getting their head in the right direction, something that really didn't happen in the early years as far as any kind of, uh, of advancement. Uh, over the years, many of these alums and parents have stepped up. We renovated our locker room. We did all these wonderful things. We're an upgrade every year to the point where we are and still will be a varsity sport. And uh, I th- we think that the, the atmosphere of having a great learning situation a great time and enjoying and having a lot of fun playing a varsity sport. When they thought maybe it was coming to an end, they were able to continue on. And uh, after speaking with our athletic director and and making my board aware of what our goals were, we've reached a happy time since it's been uh, an 80th birthday in August. And I've been at Penn 50 years one of my assistants, Chuck Hitchler, who played for me in 1970, 71-2, who's a math guy, he said, you know, Coach, he said, when you figure this out, you've been uh, working at Penn in this room for 62% of your life. And uh, my wife and I finally felt that maybe this is time to move forward. So let's go back in time. You went to what's now the College of New Jersey, correct? Yes. At the time, Trenton State College, and you were quite the athlete, 11 11- did I read that correct? 11 varsity letters in three different sports? Yes. What was your, did you have one, it was football, baseball, and basketball you played, correct? Correct. Was there one that was at the top of the list when whatever, you were younger? Whatever sport was in season was my number one sport. I had that kind of training way back in the day when I was probably 8, 9, 10, and then on into high school at Woodrow Wilson where I played three sports. And I had an opportunity to go to Trenton State. I was an industrial arts major. Everyone thought I was a jock and that I was into so many sports and uh, had such wonderful success with a lot of great guys and and coaches and teachers and mentors from my dad all the way up through Al Bass and uh, Woodrow Wilson and then my coaches at Trenton State at the time. Uh, I think that the, uh, the foundation was laid at... Uh, being a maybe a maybe being a baseball player, which was one of my goals at the time when I was offered a shot to go with the Dodgers, but the finances was not that big at the time, and it was very difficult to break into a major league team. Uh, and I was offered the head coaching job at age twenty one at Woodrow Wilson to coach football and and the baseball, and also I picked up freshman basketball, which they started. So the career was going in that direction, and. Uh, I've, I had a lot of friends who were in minor league baseball uh, who didn't make it and some who did, and I continued to play a lot of semi-pro baseball and got involved in even these old-timer 45- and 55-year-old leagues and stopped playing. Uh, I think it was this will be my third summer not playing and putting on a baseball suit. So you mentioned a chance with the Dodgers. Was that a chance as a free agent, like to go into their system? Were you drafted? What was the, the you know, back then in '61? They didn't have a, they didn't have that kind of a draft. Okay, okay. And uh, Hank Majeski, who was a third baseman for the old Philadelphia Athletics, scouted me up at the uh, Montclair game. Had a big day. Came up to me afterwards and. Uh, through the connection with a friend by the name of Marty Devlin, who played at Montreal in AAA. He was an assistant coach at, at Trenton at the time, who 
was a friend of Lasorda and the, and the rest of those Dodgers. They were going to send me to Spokane, and uh, I just, at the point of making that decision, it became very difficult when Al Bass, who was also a scout for the Phillies, he was a bird dog, and I knew all these fellas that I was playing ball with all those summers, starting when I was 16 years old, that didn't make it and put six, seven, eight years in and the opportunity to get the head job back at my high school and the coach, uh, I took that route instead. Ever have, I don't know if regrets, but do you ever look back and go, what could have been? I look back quite often. I, I get very somewhat involved. There's a couple of good stories. One is obviously I think that if you can't bat 250, you get one for four. After seeing all those number of pitches, uh, I don't know how they can pay all these uh, enormous salaries to these fellas and not demand more of an output based on uh, on what I see today. Uh, uh, I think analytics obviously has become a big thing, but I know back in 1957 and 61 and 75 and all the way up into the to 2000s in high school and then at Penn coaching for 35 years in baseball – we had a pretty good analytic idea where those kids were going to hit, what pitches they couldn't hit, and the percentages of all these things. We figured that all out. I guess with all these teams, it's nice to have a little pad that you can look at once in a while to remind you, but uh, I think that if if you're a, a hitter and or a pitcher and, and you have certain styles that you want to do, you can't clone everybody. And I would certainly like the pitcher to throw the pitch that he thinks is his best pitch when it's 3-2 and two, rather than based on the analytics of this hitter can't hit the breaking ball mm-hmm. or he can't hit this off-speed pitch. But uh, I think that uh, baseball has evolved into something great. And uh, and I, I miss it. I certainly miss playing. Uh, I love coaching. It's been in my system and my body since – I started back on the playgrounds in Camden when I was in college. Uh, Al Bass got me a job and to be a instructor in the city and all those playgrounds. So you mentioned Coach Woodrow Wilson, also Cherry Hill East as yes. well. Yes. When when does the opportunity at the University of Pennsylvania? come across your desk and how does it come across well what happened i was coaching the cherry hill east at the time and um, i had a center fielder named al ginter who was also a soccer player and uh, bob said who just got the head baseball job and the soccer job was a cherry hill resident he knew me uh came to the school and wanted to talk about getting this youngster to come to penn at the same time, he was looking for a freshman assistant baseball coach, and he said that uh, Bob Murray had uh, retired from the baseball job and also the 150-pound lightweight football job. Would you be interested? And I, at the time, I thought I wanted to be a high school coach, but then I saw this opportunity to move on to the, the collegiate level, uh, and I was currently going to be the head coach at Cherry Hill East in baseball and not the head football coach. And I took the opportunity and went over. Fred Shabel hired me. I think he got a good bargain for 3500 for two sports. And I commuted back and forth from Cherry Hill to Penn all the way up until 1996 when I retired teaching. I was a teacher and uh, 
Bob Seddon and I put together one hell of a run. We had five titles, over 600 wins. Bob is still a good friend of mine. Uh, we worked together with the Hot Stovers, which is a baseball organization in South Jersey. But uh, if, if Fred told me a long time ago, he said, if you hang around long enough, good things will happen to you. And I think I hung around long enough. So this was 1970 you came on board, correct? Yes, it is. So we'll talk about the baseball, but you inherit the 150-pound football. Was that a challenge because of the, mm. the, the weight limit and adjusting to the, how you put a team together? Or is football football and you kind of figure out that as you're going? Yeah, football is football, and, and, and you figure it out based on the talent that you have. And if you have a guy who can throw the ball, you're going to be more passing. If you've got good running backs and a nice, strong offensive line, obviously you're going to run the ball. If you've got kids that are defensively and you have to kind of have a group of people who believe in this, and obviously you've got to get them. So to get, them to, come, to get players to come to Penn is a challenge. And to find those offense and defensive linemen that, certainly been a challenge. You get the skilled kids, the quarterbacks, the running backs, because there's a lot of them that are mm-hmm. anywhere from 150 to 180 pounds, and when they can, they can make weight and they become very good players. What happens, you have to get kids who are attracted and want to come to Penn. They've got to be smart enough to come to Penn, and then obviously financially there's a, an obligation there. So that's been a challenge, and... Uh, there's been a lot of people who've gone through the system and who have, have made it. And as our years have advanced in this program, our, our football program has changed. I mean, we've, we do recruiting. Most of it's done through our Internet and through our, our word of mouth, sending out letters. Uh, the league finally allows off-campus recruiting, but we don't do off-campus recruiting for sprint football at Penn – when I was a baseball coach, certainly we, we did that. And to be admitted to Penn, you've got to be a top student. And uh, I don't have athletic components or spots or anything like that, uh, but I highly recommend them. Uh, I bring kids on campus. I've had three this past weekend, and there are youngsters who are getting between 1,400, 1,500 on their SATs. they got all these AP courses. And they're attracted because they want to get a great career. And then they have this thing called, i got to love to play football. And uh, they're getting an opportunity to play in in an atmosphere, Franklin Field, which is celebrating 125 years of their history. Uh, uh, And it's it's exciting. The facilities have been great. And those facilities since 70 to now is another topic that we can talk about. It has been a growth factor. Mm -hmm not only for the university, but for sprint football. And that's basically something that that we could talk about for a few hours. <laughs> <laughs> so when you get you come on board, you're teaching yes. in Jersey. Yes. And you're coaching the two sports. So what was the what was the juggling act? I mean obviously you're teaching your day, you know, six to three or whatever it is, and then just come over the bridge and whatever sports cooking then and how did you fill in the gaps with you know, even as an assistant for baseball, there's work you got to do. Obviously, recruiting, building a program for lightweight football. How'd you how'd you juggle it all? There was a combination. Back in the day, in the early part of my career, there was a lot of two sport players at Penn, and that has changed. It changed basically the 
when Bob Seddon retired and I left baseball and just took on the, the, the sprint football job. But back in the, in the 70s, oh, we had a lot of people who were two sporters, not only in my sport, but in, 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 in other sports. Uh, my quarterback, I go all the way back to my, one of my first quarterbacks, Donnie Valenzano, who was on that freshman baseball team. He kid out of Hackensack, great baseball player, quarterback, captain my team. In junior year, senior year, he ends up getting the captain's job also for baseball and also for sprint, how to make a decision. He didn't play sprint football senior year. He ended up being the captain of the baseball team. Uh, when that happened, the uh, when fall baseball became a reality, it was, it was a juggling act to do both. It really was. Bob Seddon basically kept me on. I would work double duty sometimes on weekends. And uh, obviously would still scout up kids and recruit kids. And any youngster who was a two-sporter that he happened to see or another sport because of soccer at the time, we had several players who filled that bill. Uh, probably the biggest two-sporter that I coached, uh, and he was a baseball player, was Mark DeRosa, who made a, obviously got a World Series ring with the Giants. Did tremendous work for Al Bagnoli as a quarterback. He played in the Cape in baseball, and now he's retired and making a living on the broadcasting mm-hmm. side. You'd mention when you're like uh, recruiting kids, like wide receivers, running backs. Yes, probably isn't the challenge of the weight as the lineman. So, what are you looking for, like? How does it start when you're trying to find like an offensive tackle that can come in at 160 pounds, stuff like that? Where do you, when where we do you had, go for that? When we had our best successes, we recruited centers because a center in, in a lot of high schools, particularly uh, in this area, they could be about 180 pounds. And he's an offensive experienced kid. And we have three centers on our offensive line. And when we look for that type of a kid, we look for maybe a linebacker who's a blocking back and he doesn't really run the ball, but he can block. And if he ends up being the fifth linebacker and we only need three of them in a starting role and he could be a starter if he learns how to block and he already knows how to block because he likes to play football and he wants to be on the field right away, we move him. We move him to uh, to the offense or defensive line. If you're a defensive linebacker in high school at 175, 180 pounds, like several of the kids we have, like we have a freshman from Haddonfield right now, uh, Lewis Evans, about 180 pounder, he's playing a linebacker, but he could play any place on that defense in, in in the front seven or eight. You know, we wouldn't put him in the secondary because he probably did, he's more of a tackler type of a kid, plays up downhill football, uh, and then there's a those are the kind of kids we look for. But there are stories where I've had quarterbacks come to Penn from a wishbone years ago. Couldn't beat out the quarterback who was an athlete. Looked like he could really play, so I moved him to tight end to see if he could catch the ball, but he couldn't catch the ball to save his life. But he liked to make contact. His name was David Berkeley, for California kid. He ended up moving one spot over, which is tackle, because he was working with ends and tackles mm-hmm. at the time. He ended up being an all-league tackle, captain of the team senior year. I mean, those are stories that are true stories that happen. Uh, there are people who 
I've recruited though there were centers like uh, the dean of admissions at Penn is Eric Verda. He was my offensive center captain. He was a 175-pound kid who wanted to play football, but he wasn't going to play big-time football, but he was looking for that education, great career, atmosphere, Ivy League, and he and I got a great relationship at the time, and he ended up being a nice ball player for us in those days back in the 80s. When did you realize, well, when you take the job in 1970, do you look at it as, boy, this is a place I could see myself for a long time, or are you not thinking in those terms at, at that point in your life? Well, at the time when I I was thinking certainly to be there a long time, uh, I was also thinking about the education of my three kids at the time, and I thought that possibly if I ever became full time, uh, even though in the beginning I th- thought that there was going to be some help for my kids if they could get in, uh, that finally that never really materialized as far as getting any kind of financial help. But however, my daughter did go to Penn. She graduated in 86. She was an all-Ivy lacrosse player. Went to Camden Catholic. She was a three-sporter there. She was a stud player. My three granddaughters, her daughters, one already graduated from Penn. One's a junior manager on the lacrosse team. And Emily is coming in this year as a freshman on the lacrosse team. And there are, there are also other sides to the story. My youngest son, Stephen, who was a quarterback and a basketball player, at Catholic, played under uh, Crawford, went to the state finals. He applied to Penn but did not get in. He ended up going to Delaware. And my oldest son, Billy, uh, ended up going to Rowan. He actually coached uh, two or three years with me as a quarterback coach because he quarterbacked uh, at Camden Catholic uh, in those days, which which were all part of the game plan. Maybe one of these kids are going to get in, and Beth Ann did, and Beth is already retired at 50, and her daddy's just retiring now. (laughs) Time for a break on -on one-on-one. We will have more with University of Pennsylvania Sprint football coach Bill Wagner right after this. It's the smart look at the issues catching fire in Philadelphia. Flashpoint. What we have is a crisis. This goes way beyond just the perpetrator. You know how many times I had stopped people in front of my house from shooting up? It was a moment where black and brown people on the margins got to say, no, we've been hurting. I think we forget that you came from somewhere else, too. Host Cherry Gregg walks you through the flames. On air Saturday evenings at 9.30 and Sunday mornings at 8.30. Or search the Flashpoint podcast on the Radio.com app. And we are back on one-on-one. Our guest this week, University of Pennsylvania Sprint football coach Bill Wagner. When do you realize, because one of the neat things is I've, I've read the stories of the alumni games you have with Sprint football and the connection that guys from year one to year 50 have and stuff like that. Is there a moment as you're putting the program together when you start to realize you've got something special? Wins and losses are great, but there's something more that we're building here? Well, this probably happened maybe about 18 years ago. I think it's about 18. Uh, One of my best friends who's passed, Bob Cullen, who was the head coach up at Cornell, and his son, Terry, who is my age, who is still up at Cornell, who's become commissioner of our league, uh, they had run a, a strong program of really putting the family atmosphere together. And I saw how successful and how much financial help they were getting. 
and how they were getting all these pretty uniforms and they had 65 kids out with their team all the time. And in conversation about maybe endowing positions on your team for X amount of money. And he had those ideas and, and I kind of stole some of those good things. I mean, uh, they worked at Penn and we started an alumni game uh, with that in, in mind. And the guys have really jumped on it. And the last alumni game uh, turned out to be a, a, an exciting game, probably more exciting than what I could probably control because the team, the 2019 team, they wanted to score 50 points in this game because they wanted to put 50 points up for wax, and that was the bottom line. But we had about 50 alums come back to play. They were all suited up. And our kids just went out and, and, and wailed them and uh, had a great game. Uh, and all the alums, we barbecued chicken and ribs afterwards like we normally do. And uh, it's been going on ever since. They did, however, beat us three times in those 18 years. And uh, there have been some they're well-attended games. They're, they're heated up. It's, and at the end of the game, it's a great love affair. Everybody has the same reason for being on the field. They love to play, they enjoy Penn, and they're having a great experience playing spring football. What does it, and I'm sure it's especially emotional in this year, but what does it mean for you to, to watch over these games? And if I'm understanding correctly, this isn't just guys that are working over the bridge to come over. I mean, they come, did I see somebody came from Sweden to, yes. to come? Was that, yeah, the, that yes. what, what does that mean to you? It uh, becomes very, very humbling. It chokes me up, uh, and I don't want to cry. I'm not a crybaby, but it could happen. You wouldn't happen. be the first on this podcast, for the record. <laughs> it could happen. Uh, there's certain things that trigger that kind of emotion. That's one of them. Um, my dad does another one. With the alumni games and stuff like that, you've really kind of got a system in place because it's not just you get alumni back and you play this game and you mention the barbecue, but it's also kind of mentoring and You've got alumni kind of helping prepare the current players for what's after. And I mean, you know, I think a lot of places like would like to have something like that and, and like to think that maybe they have, but they don't have it in practice. How right. special is is it to, to have that in place? It's very special. And we have a great support system, obviously. Our development people uh, have, have been tremendous. And there's been probably in 50 years you have gone through maybe – half a dozen or more different people who have actually run that particular program, that department. Currently, right now, uh, a guy by the name of Charlie Carroll, who's who's my hands-on man in development, and uh, Tim Fallon, who's the top guy, Fallon is the top guy. They certainly include all kinds of mailing. We have a mailing list. We've got over a thousand different letters that, uh, that get sent out electronically and invites, uh, word of mouth. With that said, they're in direct communication with my sports board, which is about 24 people, all who played for me, all have tremendous uh, jobs. Some of them even their sons have played for me and dad played for me. They both have played an alumni game against each other and together Rob Schneider is one, and Derek, they were a great combination, father and son, who have played in the game. But this whole thing has, it's really, it's advertised, it, and it's word of mouth, and it's through development and through the people who support us. 
uh, all the way to the barbecues and many of the things that had happened. Uh, and we it just continued to go forward and build and build. And it's it's more than just a good fundraiser. It's a great family atmosphere. Uh, and out of these alumni games have come other things that have developed. I mean, we have tailgating now that's second to none. I mean, it all started back in, uh, I guess, 2002 or four. I had a quarterback, uh, Michael D'Angelo, his mom, Michelle, who was a cheerleader at Paul the Six many years ago, was part of their family group. And she saw this at what was going on at Penn, and she said, well, can I have a tailgate after the game as well as before the game? I said, certainly, and she expanded this. And from that day on, all the way up to today, we have a tailgate before every game and after every game. If it's a home game and it's a night game, we're still under the South Street Bridge having a tailgate that's, I have to tell the kids, don't eat too much because you have a weigh-in on Monday. <laughs> and, and, and the feast is immaculate. It's, it's first class. Several titles, a lot of wins. Are there any games that, if I ask you, let's look back at the, the fabric of your career. From, are there any games that just jump right to the, to the front as a, the most memorable for you? Well, there's a, there's a lot of them, and you don't want to leave any out. But the uh, the '96 game, yeah, it's my dad. He uh, opened up his shirt at the end of the game and shows beat Army, and we beat <laughs> Army, right? And that team uh, set the tone for my first championship. And there are some players on that team that were really great, and. Uh, and they set up that endowment for his award every year. I I know the answer to this, but what is your favorite part of being, or at least I think I know, favorite part of being a coach? It's that relationship with these people. It's a two-way street. Uh, we give and take each other. Uh, we win together or we lose together. And we uh, we have a lot in common. And so it's a great atmosphere so let's talk a little bit about the the baseball mm. <laughs> another place where you Penn has had more than its fair share of oh, yeah. special kids come through uh, on your watch who were some of the players that really stand out because a lot of guys that I think even the casual baseball fan would know have come through Penn you mentioned Mark DeRosa but who are some of the other guys that the uh, you watch that uh, you look back on with pride that they were part of the program there? Well, the first years at Penn, obviously, uh, is very memorable. We won our first title, and that was uh, Donnie Valenzano. He was a a key person uh, on that team, along with Andy Mulestock, who was one of my pitchers. Andy ended up getting a cup of coffee in the in the big leagues, uh, he threw new ha- new hitters and still holds the all-time pen record of 28 wins in three years because wow. he was also on my freshman team. And the freshman team at that time uh, would practice with the varsity, and then eventually we would have a game. And I can remember that we did very well against the current varsity of our freshman team. So that team back in, I think it was 74, who they, they went on to the first regional play. Uh, they won a game but did not win a region. Uh, 
to set that straight, no Ivy League team has ever won a regional. But uh, while I was at Penn, we went to five of them. Uh, and there's a lot of good players, even the years where we didn't win the, the regionals, but uh, probably our most successful years were 88, 89, and 90. Uh, we've, we had a great combination of pitching and hitting. The pitching staff back then was, like, unbelievable. They had, like, a 2.2 earned run average and led the nation. Uh, got Craig Conley got, got signed, and, 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 uh, and Mike Ravo, Doug Schmidt, Judd Damon. They were my four starters. On that team, who were, did not start many of the, of the league games, but was a, a freshman that came in at the time, was Doug Glanville and Billy Whistler. And uh, those two guys ended up being pretty good f- baseball players as well. Uh, Doug obviously went on and uh, got drafted by Chicago and then ended up in the Philadelphia Phillies as a center fielder. I remember when we recruited him out of Teaneck High School, and uh, there were a lot of schools that wanted him, but he could really play, and obviously he's, he's, he's uh, high up on my list. Billy Whistler, when he uh, was out in uh, Salt Lake City in his AAA, uh, got a cup of coffee, he uh, he he didn't make a living playing, but he he came very very close. I think he had more innings pitched in his minor leagues than a lot of people. Uh, had another a lot of good pitchers that I handled, but Steve Atkins is one of my key guys who who ended up uh, getting into the Yankees organization. He won a lot of games in minor league ball, and I think. At the time, one of our assistant coaches, who's a good friend, Rick Santarone, who went to Cherry Hill East, who also was in the Yankees chain and had connections with the Yankees, uh, got Steve a tryout with them up at the stadium. He also played uh, in the uh, Bridgeton tournament and also pitched in the Rancocas Valley for Vincentown. So there were a lot of good players who ended up running that route because of my connection is still playing and having the South Jersey roots. But Steve, uh, Steve went on, had a great knuckle drop, 6'6 six, six lefty. Uh, uh, he did give up Cecil Felder's big home run at Yankee Stadium, and those, those, yeah, those Yankee fans who I still don't particularly care for <laughs> were on, got on my nerves up there as well. But then Steve did come back the next week, and he'd had a beautiful game against the Brewers, got, got that victory. The only problem that happened, uh, it was the year of the strike, and he got caught up in that. And he's now living in Tampa. He now has, a, uh, I think, a sophomore at Penn who's on the crew team. So there's a lot of great success stories uh, and, and ball players, but uh, And obviously the, the DeRosa years when mm-hmm. we won again. Uh, back in, uh, we beat Ryder, and we went on, and, and we probably had the most memorable defeat ever in in, in, in the NCA baseball history when we went up to uh, Waterford to play in the regionals, and uh, Conley pitched the opener, and we knocked off the Big Ten champs, Illinois, and we we had a tough game. We had lost to Arizona State in a close game. They were up there. And we had a game against LeMoyne coming up. And Doug Jamin's pitching a no-hitter. Rains come after five innings. We're up like 10 or 12 runs. And then we had a day off. So the next day we had to make a decision. We went with our 
remaining staff, but we wanted to save our starters because we thought we were going to win this ball game. And before you know it, Little Point pecked and pecked and pecked and eventually tied the game. In fact, Conley came back and threw two more innings to shut them out. But then in the last inning, uh, the way baseball is, a couple things, a foul tip here, uh, a ground ball that could have been a double play instead of throwing the ball to third base. I can still see that happening. And uh, uh, they end up taking a, a, uh, a two-run lead on us. And we're the home team. We come up to bat in the bottom of that inning. We load the bases up with two outs. And uh, Jason, Sarah Jonas, are, these are four hitters, um, three-two count. Everybody's running. I'm still coaching third base. I could see it like it was yesterday. He hits a swinging bunt to third base. And the guy on second's already scored. We've already tied this game. We're probably going to win it. And it's a bang-bang play. He gives The third baseman gives us a Brooks Robinson one-hand move, fires at the first base, and he banged Jason out. And we go home with the biggest comeback by a team called LeMoyne, who ends up not winning the, the, that, that tournament. Arizona State did and advanced. I'll, I won't forget that one. <laughs> I can tell. So you said you played up until three summers ago? So you played until yes. you were 77? Yes. What position? Well, I started out, uh, I finished up in right field only because I couldn't throw the ball as far as, and I couldn't run as fast, but I had the smarts to get the jump on the ball, and I still could hit. I loved the, I, I, I still love these guys that love to throw that breaking curveball that says, hit me, hit me, hit me. <laughs> I can still hit that pitch. <laughs> they throw heat on the hands where they should be pitching inside. Uh, I have a little toughness getting my bat around on that, but I was in the hot stovers at the end of my career. I was the president of the hot stovers, and we had a baseball team, and we played a lot of games, and a lot of good guys, former players, most of them were from 40 to 45 and up, and then there were some old-timers like myself. Uh, John DeCosmo was one who I played ball with, and Whip Wilson, who I played baseball with it. In a little league uniform when we were 12 years old. He's still my friend. Both of these guys are hot stovers uh, today. Uh, so baseball was something uh, I can remember playing my last game uh, in really organized ball in the Bridgeton tournament. Al Bass was running the team. And uh, we had won the, uh, the city league at the time. And Al Bass decided to pick and coach the team, so we kind of fattened that team up, and we went down, and we got into, uh, won the Southern Division of the Bridgeton Tournament. We had a lot of good ball players. I'm playing center field, and I went flying to right center to catch a ball, and it came off the end of my glove. And that was my last game. <laughs> so, and I self-set in the dugout to on how bad so that I should have caught that ball. I, if it hits your glove, you're supposed to catch the ball, and I didn't. But I remember a lot of Bridgeton tournaments, a lot of bacon blasts, guys that I can name whatever time allows, but it was that was my last game. And then from then on, I ended up playing for the hot stores in these old-timer leagues on Sunday. And I uh, was teaching guys how to run from first to third on a pop-up behind second because they couldn't get the jump and how to take a lead and all those wonderful little things that you learn from experience. So does it feel 
Does it feel real that this is your last year or does it still feel a little surreal because you're still coaching and you understand what I'm what I'm asking? I've had those moments. It's, it's, it's surreal a little bit. I don't want it to happen, but it's going to happen. <laughs> when you look back at 50 years, you look at success, you look at alumni games, you look at relationships. When it's all said and done, what do you hope when people say, Bill Wagner, what do you hope they say and what do you hope comes to mind? Well, most of them are saying that they really enjoyed it and uh, it was part of their building, building their lifestyle, their foundations. It's a tough answer. It's a choke you up because uh, – I faced that already several times in the last uh, couple of months, and uh, I've heard it many times from uh, <clears throat> the leaders of our group and the and the alums. But that'll be the big thing. What are your plans no. when coaching's not in the in the everyday? Well, hopefully. Uh, it, as part of my retirement, part of it was, hey, I want to make sure that uh, we're going to have a full-time head coach, we're going to have a full-time assistant coach and and the operations guy, and that, that looks like we're in, in that mode. And they were going to put some kind of a handle on Bill Wagner, maybe a emeritus coach, whatever that means. I think it means be, still be on the sports board, be involved in making the decisions. Make sure that the fundraising continues, obviously, and those relationships continue to happen. And that's built through that alumni game. That's one of the big things. And I want to be back for that and uh, to help the new coach who I've certainly been involved in naming uh, to make sure that that transition occurs very, very smoothly. And it's been said that this is going to happen. Uh, we have a major brunch at the end of the year, which is on graduation weekend. I will, I'll attend that. I have set up a uh, a room that's got all the memorabilia, all the pictures, all the lifelong things. And people come back to that, uh, and I'll, I'll continue. Um, we go up to uh, the New York Athletic Club at the end of the year. I want to be part of that. Uh, there's usually a, uh, the end of the year board meeting there, and there's also a somewhat of a social. We get about 40 or 50 people, and we have a roundup of the season. I want to make sure that that continues and uh, obviously be available to go anywhere. <laughs> and it looks like they're putting that into effect right now, and I'm happy with that. And uh, my wife has been a big part of this. She knows everybody there's all the photography on the sidelines, and uh, and we've traveled all over, and a lot of it's been pen, and a lot of it'll be without the, the pen. But everywhere I go, if I have my pen hat on, I run into a pen alum. It could be anywhere from Palm Beach on the beach, or it could be in China, or Ireland, or whatever. And we've been to all these places, and our family's expanded that far. And as we're talking here, the season is not over. Do you allow yourself to think what that last game's going to be like whenever, you know? I don't want to think about that. 
I, I had that emotion at our last home game. I, I didn't tell anybody. It came out to me, and I couldn't. I, I almost I choked up a little bit as we went out to play Chestnut Hill. But then I rallied back, and, and everything became reality. And uh, it'll be a tough time. Uh, we got to get by Navy first, though. <laughs> that's that's the goal of this uh, this program right now. That's our championship game coming up. I don't want to give them any uh, ammunition on this conversation, but it's Army and Navy are the perennial contenders and champions of this league. They've won it more times than anybody. But since 96, we've challenged them. And we're going to go down there Friday night. Bill Wagner, thanks so much for stopping in. Thank you. I appreciate the time. It was wonderful. And that will do it for another episode. One-on-one is an original sports podcast from KYW News Radio. If you like this show, want to help us out, make sure you are subscribed so you don't miss an episode. And you can help more people find out about one-on-one by finding the show on Apple Podcasts and leaving a rating and a review. You can follow the show on Twitter at one-on-one pod, and you can follow me on Twitter as well at Matt Leon 1060. Many thanks to University of Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania Sprint football coach Bill Wagner for stopping by this week. My name is Matt Leon. Come back next week for another good conversation with someone you should know more about.